Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Lowdown. And as you know, in Ontario, as we go back into the gray uh, modified restriction zone, it really is the Lockdown Lowdown, Alex. I mean, what else would you rather be doing on a Friday night? Yeah, I mean, when we started this podcast, we were like, well, you know what? This name is going to kind of lose its meaning after a while once the lockdown's over. But it's the never-ending lockdown. So the name of the show still stands. It's it, man. It's it. We don't have to do name change because it's just we're just going to be sitting in our homes forever on the couch just doing this podcast. So maybe eventually we'll we'll change it to the late night lowdown. Late night, maybe maybe one day when I'm quadruple boosted then we can change the name. But anyways, that's a whole other podcast. I don't want to talk about vaccines tonight. We'll, we'll just no, jump right in. So this is um, a non-COVID related this podcast. This is a non-COVID related podcast, but I will do a quick intro. So, you know, on the podcast, we've talked about a wide range of topics, um, political, some religious topics. We've talked about conspiracy theories. And so I thought this would be a perfect fit. A fit. Tonight, we're going to be talking about cults so very excited to to talk about cults tonight and just a uh, excuse me a very brief definition so what is a cult because i feel there's a lot of like loose sort of definitions around it but the definition that i was able to pull together online is that a cult is basically a social group defined by unusual religious or spiritual, or even philosophical beliefs. Now, it doesn't always have to be religious. I mean, people do talk about religious cults, and those that's definitely a thing, but it doesn't have to be religious. There could be a spiritual element to it. There could be a philosophical um, element to it. You know, there could be sort of, you know, a Ten Commandments, but maybe maybe there's not a, a, a god or, or, or a, you know, a, a deity per, per se that's being worshipped, but it's you know, in that case, it could be a leader that's being worshipped, right? And and usually, um, whether the leader is alive or dead, let's say you're you're worshiping someone, a messiah from the past. Usually, this this group this group has a common interest, a common goal, um, and 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 a, and, a re- and and at the center of everything, there's a charismatic leader who expects absolute loyalty. And when I say absolute loyalty, I'm talking like death before disloyalty kind of shit. And so a couple things here, you have this group with this common goal, um, this charismatic leader, and within this, this cult atmosphere, um, opposing thought or, you know, opposing critical thought is, is prohibited, um, questioning or doubting the doctrines, the belief systems that were laid out by the leader is is highly discouraged or even punished that that will that will usually get you exiled exactly exactly so so definitely critical thinking or opposing the leader is a no-no it's really bad and to your point it'll get you kicked out um members are isolated and um and penalized for leaving so once you get into a call it's kind of like joining the mob or a crime syndicate it's really hard to get out really hard to get out and you're actually one of the characteristics of a cult is that once you're in you're you're really really like down the rabbit hole you're you're in you're loyal and if if that little voice in your head says run and you try and leave 
there are measures in place for you, for you to, for, for people to stop you from leaving. And then when you do, people will lash out at you and try and destroy you and just, and just, you know, discredit you and destroy your character for leaving this, this, this call. Right. So it's a very dangerous thing to get involved in. There's, there's an emphasis on special uh, doctrines. Um, again, you know, the leader is seeking um, highly inappropriate level of loyalty. Um, oftentimes um, ties are cut from families and so when you're in a cult, you are taught to disassociate yourself from your parents, from your siblings, from your best friend, from your close coworkers. And so your, your single-minded goal is just to be in this cult and, and kind of isolated from the outside world. Um, sometimes we're going to have mind-altering practices, whether that's chanting, rituals, um, all that sort of stuff. Um, it, you know, it really I, seems like, like the difference between a, a cult and a religion or any other type of organized group is that you're, you're uh, the leader, the charismatic leader is looking for a monopoly on influence over your mind. Perfect. You know, you know it, Alex, it one of the things I really like about you is you take, that, sure. sorry, go ahead. Uh, the, the difference between a cult and a religion in a religion, you're sort of free to debate topics. Um, you're free to, you know, engage in a phil philosophical debate, more or less. I mean, obviously, there's certain streams of thought that are that are frowned upon, and then you have sort of like people that that schism and create their own uh, sect of of Christianity and that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But, but there's no um, like you're not punished for doing that. You're not, um, yeah. you know, like you're not in uh, fear of your life for for breaking away from a, a religion you know exactly and i and, and, and what i was going to say when we kept talking over each other is that you always find a really good way of taking all this you know novel that i've prepared and distilling it down to a really simple definition which i appreciate you're a little you're a lot more <laughs> succinct than i am but I'm I'm your, I'm right. it's, and, I, and i think you 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 nailed the key differences because we hear the term religious cult right but i think that it's even though myself, I am non-religious. My father does not practice religion. My, my mom, you know, wasn't really that religious when she was raising us. Like we're not really a religious family. Okay. But even when my mom was growing up, she would join, you know, church groups. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you do believe in Jesus Christ, or if you believe in uh, Muhammad or whatever you happen to believe in, right. Um, whether it's uh whether it's you know a mono what what's it um I can't think mon what's the word mono the word I'm trying to think of anyways there's tons of different religions out there single god religions multi god religions it doesn't matter if you believe in that and that and you find that to be helpful in your life and and you know you let your spirituality guide you you find a sense of community and you can do things together you know fundraisers. Um, you know, local trivia nights, whatever. If that's what you do with the church, with your church group, that's fine. It's when it, it's when it gets to the next level of loyalty and blind loyalty um, that it gets really scary. And so just to finish off my thoughts here, there's often money involved. So you have members of these cults, um, you know, giving money to the leader or to the organization almost blindly. And sometimes it's their entire life savings. Um, I've heard some tragic stories of people who would give up their entire net worth to, you know, because they're so 
blindly loyal to these to these groups and to the cause of these groups they don't even really know truly where their money's going because they're so like into it um and ultimately it's it's uh this leader is looking for influence and absolute control and often there's brainwashing involved so i mean that's i could go on and on and on but it you know in in a nutshell that's essentially all the different traits of a cult and you're basically being isolated from the rest of society and dedicating yourself to this group okay wholeheartedly there's, a, so, there's another um, there's another thing that i was thinking about in terms of like what's what is the difference between a religion and a cult and another thing that i wanted to mention is legitimacy um cults are are essentially religious groups that have failed to attain legitimacy um, and that can be like legitimacy in the eyes of the government um, in terms of like their their taxation status like are they are they able to buy property and not pay taxes um, you know pay pay wages and not pay taxes and that type of thing and you saw that with Scientology, where where basically they waged a war against the um, the the revenue. What's the revenue agency? The IRS in the United States, um, where basically not an actual war, but like they basically got all of their subjects to sue the IRS, um, and uh, the the sheer volume of lawsuits forced the IRS to capitulate and give Scientology their their tax exempt status. Yeah. And that's sort of gave them their legitimacy. And it's interesting because you have, um, you know, Christianity, Catholicism, and yeah. everything in, you know, obviously in the old world in Britain. Um, it's, it's an interesting dynamic there because it's like the, the king, you think about the king and the queen. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's understood that they get their legitimacy from God because yeah. God has has ordained them to be the the king or queen of England. They get that's where they get their legitimacy. Yet the king and queen of England they give legitimacy to either the Catholic Church or or you know the Protestants. Um, you know they basically are the ones that give the legitimacy to the religion. So it's all almost like this like weird um back and forth of like both feeding each other's legitimacy and that's sort of like what what kept both of them uh in power like that so anyways long story short cults uh are uh, just not legitimate uh religions yeah and i and i see where you're co you're coming from with that and and one could almost argue that when a cult reaches a certain scale and becomes recognized by the monarch or by the government or by elected officials, whatever, or by the people of a certain nation or whatever community, then it can become a religion. Um, that's a very fair um, argument around- Scientology is a religion now? No, see, and that's, and that's where, and this is why I, I always shy away from religion. I, again, I'm not a religious person. I don't put judgment on people who are religious, again, um, you know, some really successful and, and wonderful people I know happen to be Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever the list goes on. And that's, and, and, and to each their own, right? But the reason I shy away from it is because it, 
there's sometimes there is kind of a blurred line between a cult and a religion. And I think Scientology is a perfect example of a blurred line where I would argue that Scientology is like just a very large cult. And I kind of find it a little bit scary, to be honest. And so, and, and, and the same with the Catholic church. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to jump too far ahead because I do want to spend some time talking about the Catholic church. And there's a debate that I want to have about the Catholic church, but I would almost argue that even though Christianity is, is, is recognized throughout the world and a lot of our laws, a lot of our beliefs, a lot of what we teach in school, the value systems that we have in North America and Canada kind of, kind of trickle down or are influenced by the teachings of the Bible. I mean, obviously we, no one can dispute that there's that influence there from the Bible in terms of how we kind of, you know, live with certain values in our lives. Right. But what, but, but don't forget that Catholicism is a denomination of, of Christianity. And while there's a lot of positive learnings and teachings and values that are taught in Christianity and in Catholicism, I would almost argue that, that the Catholic church in certain respects could almost be described as a cult. That's, uh, that's pretty controversial, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear why. You know what? Let's just skip ahead. I was gonna. I was gonna go on like to some of my. From the definition you just gave, like what's yeah, yeah. So what you know what? Different? I I was gonna go. I was gonna talk about some of my my favorite cult documentaries and some of my my most disturbing cults. You know, first, but since we since we we touched we touched on the top subject, I'm gonna flesh it out. Um, so don't forget, with Christianity, there's like a lot of different denominations, right? And there's different people have different levels of belief. In Christianity, right? And I would argue that something like being Protestant is a lot more like it's not as um, involved as being Catholic, right? Like my mom was actually raised. So my, my grandfather originally was Catholic and he was raising my mom and her sisters as Catholic. And then he actually decided that he didn't want to give 10% of his income to the church anymore. So he actually converted to Protest to, to become Protestant. And, and I feel like, you know, based on my experience, like seeing my, what my mom kind of went through when she was growing up is that the Protestant side is a lot more chill. You know what I mean? Like there, and, and if you look at Catholicism, pardon me, they, they certainly are in, in respect to inclusivity when it comes to women, this is true. Um, have, this having, is true. having women as, as leaders and, in weight and stuff like that. Um, ministers in certain certain protestant faiths you can be a female minister exactly uh, yeah that's that's one thing that drove my mom away from the catholic church and, and other churches yeah was the fact that it was kind of a boys club oh for sure 100 and you know I, I i remember we were doing some sort of outreach event you know when i was in a theater uh you know group um, ages and ages ago in high school. And I remember actually going to a church that was all inclusive and it was inclusive of women. It was inclusive of obviously people of different color and different backgrounds. It was also inclusive of the gay, you know, LGTB community, which is, which is not something that we've seen. You know, I, I don't think we're going to see as much of that in the, in the Catholic church. So I think that definitely there's a lot more open-mindedness towards diversity and the gay community within other de denominations of Catholicism, sorry, of Christianity. But what I'll, what I'll say about Catholicism specifically, not only is it still very, a boys club to, to, your, to your point, it's very much a, uh, 
you know, um, a man's world, right? Um, it's still very homophobic and, and it's still very much, the, the Catholic church is still very focused on men and women. Men and women have to have a family, right? Like, no, two gay men can adopt and have a family. Two lesbian women can adopt and have a family or have a surrogate, whatever. And so, so they have a very old, old fashioned traditional um, aspect of what it means to be family. But that in itself, I would argue, is not enough to to identify it as a cult. What, where where I will what I will say is that number one, um, anyone who's a leader within this group is not allowed to have sex. So nuns and mothers um, in these communes, they don't they're not allowed to have sex. The people now, who are the I, leaders. I'm gonna stop you for I'm gonna stop you for a second. The people who are the leaders in in most cults are actually having the most sex out of well, everybody and this is and, and there's usually uh bigamy and and you know having multiple wives and you know impregnating you know uh children and stuff like that going on you know like that's, really that's fair so um like it's kind of the opposite when you when you look at you know but, but at the same time, like, I get what you're saying in terms of like, you know, obviously the Catholic Church has had its problems in terms of priests and, and uh, molestation. Of, yeah, of yeah. Children, and actually what like I was, that. what I was going to say to counter that is the, the, the institution of Catholicism has, has actually, you know, exerted control over these people to say, if you want to be a leader, it, you know, as a priest, standing up in front of your congregation in the Catholic church, or if you want to be, if you want to be a true servant, you know, as, as, as a nun, then you have to make this sacrifice where you can, you must abstain from sex. And I, I know what you're saying in cults, it's actually kind of the opposite. And we'll talk about Keith Renier later and, and the whole DOS sub sub sort of uh, category of the Nexium cult and, and all that stuff. Cause you're right in that sense, there was a lot of sex happening, but I think what I want to say is that, in, in the way that that Nixium and Keith Renier influenced the lives of his, um, the members of his cult, this in the same way, like, you're, you know, Catholicism not only says, okay, you have to abstain from sex if you want to be a leader, you have to abstain from sex if you want to be um, a, a nun, you have to, you cannot have sex before marriage, even if you're just a member of the church, you can only, you know, Oh, the only accepted true family unit is a man and a woman coming together. Homosexuality is not okay. You have to give money to the church. So the church just asks for money from you. And back when my mom was growing up, it was 10% of your income. I don't know if that's still practiced now, but it's basically no, absolutely still practiced now. So, yeah. so imagine now, you know, living in Toronto, we're, we're it's, you know, called, it's called giving back to your community. <laughs> Yeah. And, but if I want to get back to my community, I'll make a donation. I will go and do an outreach event or, and I have done those things. I can say uh, I'm, a 50 cent donation for a poppy once a year does not count as giving back to your, your community. What makes you think that it was 50 cents? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing. So, so, I, so, so that aside, I know what you're getting at. I've done my share of community involvement. When I was in high school, we did a ton of community involvement um, with, with our theater company that we were in. Um, we, you know, I, I've done charity events. I've done, uh, I've made donations, all that, all that good, quote unquote, good person things that you're supposed to do in your life, like in order to be a good contributing member of society. So I'm all for giving back to the community, but giving 10% of your income to the church 
because you because almost because it's like just a built-in expectation is kind I mean, of weird. I, I think that's a really, it's an interesting thing that you bring up. It's called tithing, tithe uh, is where you give 10% of your income. And I would agree, like, I, I mean, people in every stage of their life can cannot necessarily afford to do something like that. But, you know, if you're making, you know, in excess of, of $100,000 a year, you know, what's really like, if you have to put yourself in the mindset of every single weekend you go, you go to church, uh, right? You spend a, a good amount of your time there. That's where you socialize. Um, when I was younger, I mean, I'm not very religious now, but, but when I was younger, I went to a church called um, St. James. It was a Protestant church okay. and it wasn't, it wasn't only church. Like it seemed, it seemed like everything I did when I was a kid was in one way or another related to the church like I played in a in a softball league a church softball league um I was I was in a lot of plays like that's where my my interest in in theater and yeah. acting directing started was was being in various uh, various uh, theatrical productions put on by St. James players um and and it's not something that like I was, and also, of course, I was in Cub Scouts and then uh, in regular Scouts after that. And of course, that took place at the church as well. Um, and it's not something that I thought of a lot about at the time. But now that I'm older, I look back and I realize that like so much of the good uh, memories of my childhood centered around that church. Um, again, I'm not a religious person. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't go to church anymore or anything like that, but it's interesting how, how church can be, um, if you are a religious person, it can be a focal point in your life. Um, it can really be, um, uh, the community, uh, that, that people desire. Um, yeah. you know, it can really add a lot to your life. And if you are the type of person that's, that does a lot of volunteering at church, um, you go every, every weekend and you have all sorts of other activities that revolve around this, um, really what, what is 10% of your, your income? Um, I would say that's, that's money well spent. If, if that's where you, um, if that's where you find your your sense of community and your connectedness um, to to other people, um, I would say that's a deal. <laughs> and and you know what, you make a very valid point. I didn't really think about it that way. Again, uh, I'm going to use my mom as an example. She was very she did you know all sorts of things with her church group and 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 and, and it sounds like for you, you had a you had a fantastic experience with your sports and your plays and the music and, and all this, you know, team oriented community building stuff you did. That's fantastic. And I have no negative criticisms about that aspect of Christianity or whatever religion you happen to practice. If you can find meaning and, and if you find time to volunteer and all that wonderful stuff, fantastic. If you, if you and I don't agree on whether there's a God or not, but you find, you know, fulfillment in, in going to church every Sunday or going to these events, 
wonderful. And if you want to make a donation to the church and, and help support that community, I guess that's not so bad. But we're, what I did want to just say is that you had mentioned, pro, you know, being Protestant. What I want to talk about is Catholicism and how it's like, it's like really like the cultiest version. It's one of the more culty kind of, aside from Mormonism, which is kind of an offshoot of the Christianity beliefs as well. You know, Catholicism's really like, there's so many like rituals and it's like, you know, counting the, counting the rosary. And I remember, you know, my mom would tell me, my mom would tell me about when, how she'd have to count the rosary. And that's, that's a ritual, right. Or, or going to a confessional. So you're talking to basically not a stranger, but someone who's not really related to you. Who's kind of the, the leader of this church telling your deepest and darkest secrets, like in a booth and having to like confessing that you masturbated, confessing that you masturbated, <laughs> that you jerked one out on, on, on on red tube or or Pornhub, you know what I mean? And so no, there's the I don't know. I've never heard of these websites. Never heard of those, right? Never heard of those. Because I'm sure your fiance is in earshot. So you've never heard of those. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Uh, you're also trying to raise a wonderful young woman. So you've never heard of those sites. Never anyways, anyways, joking aside, you're you're sitting in this booth confessing your deepest and darkest darkest secrets. You're counting the rosary, your you know telling you know telling the the you know the community that you're going to abstain from sex until the first night of your marriage you're you know giving your money away you're and then and then and then beyond all those things there's there's and and we cannot dispute this it is well known that there is a history of abuse by by um priests and young young men we all know this and i don't know maybe that's a like it's it's kind of a weird thing like you take a group of people um and tell them they're not allowed to have sex and yeah that i wonder like that might be a reaction to that i don't know well, of it's, course it's, it is yeah. and don't you think that's a little bit cult-esque well yeah i mean like like you're definitely trying to control other people's lives in kind of an unnatural way um that's what that's what's so weird to me about the fact that that priests aren't aren't allowed to get married. Uh, yeah. A vow of celibacy. Um, I, like, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's extreme. It, there's and, no and, question. And you know what's funny? These guys are taking this vow of celibacy, um, abstaining from sex, you know, dedicating themselves to God and to the church for their whole life, because that's what they're married to. They're married to the church. And that's, and, that's and, the idea. Actually, it's really interesting. I went to, uh, when I was in Quebec City, I went to um, where, like a school that raised uh, nuns, like that where, where young girls would go to this school. And then as they got older, they would, they would choose to either become nuns or, or not. And, uh, and it's really interesting that, that the ceremony that they do when they sort of like induct these nuns into the into the Catholic Church, um, all of the nuns wear a white dress uh, as if it's like like a wedding dress. Oh yeah, for sure. And because they're getting they're, married to Jesus Christ, are they not? And the the symbolism is that that like it's essentially their their wedding day. Like they are giving themselves to God instead yeah. of a man, uh, an earthly man. Yeah, uh, I thought that I thought that was really fascinating, and and think, seeing actual video of all these yeah. women by yeah. themselves wearing these wedding dresses, um, it was interesting. Like I, yeah. I'd never even heard of that before. 
And it's, and, and that's a fascinating story. And I, and I'm so glad you shared that. And it kind of sounds to me like these women who are mar- getting married to God and marrying themselves to the church in these, in these sort of symbolic white gowns that symbolic, you know, that are symbol of symbols of their purity. It's a little bit culty to me, but if I want exactly. to, and that's what I wanted to say. I mean, yeah. I want, they showed us like we were in like kind of a museum type of thing. And we were watching like footage of one of these ceremonies where they're all dressed in these white dresses. And it like, it was a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah. bad. laughs> totally, man. Totally. So, no, I'm really glad you somebody should. like so convinced that this institution has everything that they will ever need in life. Yeah. They do not need to look uh, outside of this institution yeah. for, for anything any of their earthly desires it's just this, this oh no, it's wild man and i'm really glad you shared that so thank you for sharing that anecdote and it's it's just this blind faith that they they've never seen god in in, in real life they don't you know i could i could sit here and argue about whether god or not exists you know exists or not for until we're blue in the face but it's just like this blind faith and they're, they're having this blind faith and just giving themselves wholly and and completely to the church and and, and all that stuff, which is really interesting, but I, I think we could both kind of agree it's a bit culty. And, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on this last point, because I do want to move on to a quick example uh, of one of my most disturbing cult, you know, um, sort of discoveries that I've ever made. But bef- one last thing on, on, the, on the Catholic Church, the residential schools. I didn't want to go there, but I just, I thought I really wanted to bring it up because what, I mean, what really happened in these residential schools, which has been coming to light in the media a lot over the last year, year and a half, is, you know, this, this religious institution of Catholicism, which we've already kind of identified as being quasi-cult, what they're doing is taking these native children and assimilating them into their own belief systems and saying anything that you believe, your language, your culture, your way of thinking, your religion, doesn't matter you have to assimilate, uh, sorry, assimilate to our way of thinking. Is that not the definition of a cult? It's, it's definitely fucked up. There's no question about that. It's, it's weird because like when I, when I heard about all this stuff with the residential schools, I don't know, it was, it's like incompatible with my own experiences. Like oh, it yeah. doesn't even make, it doesn't make yeah. sense because like here's a little bit about me like i i'm again i'm a protestant i was baptized protestant yeah um but i went to a catholic church because my dad is catholic uh, sorry i went to a catholic school sorry not a church a school um through from through all the way through elementary school through high school i was yeah. in catholic school um yeah. it's really interesting because like as sort of like an outsider um, there was absolutely no attempt at assimilation for, for me, right? Like nobody ever said, hey, you know, did you think about like converting to Catholicism? You know, you're going to Catholic school. We're teaching you Catholic values. Like, have you thought about becoming a Catholic? Nobody ever said that to me, what, uh, ever. And maybe it's just because I'm like, I'm already Protestant. I've already been baptized. So I'm like unclean and unworthy of, of becoming. And, and maybe their view of, uh, I, I, I honestly wonder if their view of natives is that they're sort of like 
untouched, right? Like they're like these, these like, um, these like savage people that have no uh, affiliation whatsoever. And, and they're, they're just ripe to be adopted into Catholicism. Whereas somebody that is Protestant, well, they're already spoken for. So like, just forget yeah. those. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, that's just my take on it. It's, no, that's it's, interesting because that's very interesting because you're already in this one denom- denomination of Christianity. So they're like, yeah, this, this guy's spoiled goods. Whereas then the natives, to your point, like they, you know, they have to become, you know, they have to be become go from being savages to become civil society, right? Which is totally fucked up. And just you know, let's let's be clear that I don't believe that whatsoever. I'm just, I, I, I in fact, when I when, when 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 the more and more I heard in the media about what actually happened at these at these residential schools, it it shocked me, and 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 it just really goes to show that you know, going back to your point about legitimacy. Well, the, you know, in Canada, in the United States, in, in the Western world and in Europe, we have legitimized Roman Catholicism. So, so this, this cult, if you will, of, of Catholicism has been legitimized by the government, by society at large. And so at the time, it was okay for them to go in and, and, and basically assimilate these people and tell them that your beliefs don't matter. You are now part of our world you are now going to believe what we believe so it's it's pretty crazy and it's pretty culty um and i think it's pretty crazy i I think i would i think after this discussion i i agree that like first of all catholicism and christianity in general i don't i don't believe it really qualifies as a cult um uh, but they have historically dabbled in culty activities for sure for sure. And I, I would go one step further to, to, to say, I do actually believe that in many respects, Catholicism is a cult, but then again, it really comes down to how strictly you, you, you define it based on the traits that I outlined at the beginning of, of the podcast. So yeah, like, like you can, you can leave Catholicism at any time yeah. and no one will say anything. Yeah. At all. This is yeah. true. This is true. Um, There's so I, so I do want to move on, but the, these are some great thoughts, and I'm really glad you you brought your own perspective of growing up, you know, with with your and and, and you know being in the community, um, in the church community growing up. I, I appreciate that. So um, I want to move on to something even a little bit darker, um, which is Nixium N X I V M, and this was established in 1998 by the a gentleman known by his you know, followers as the Vanguard. His real name is Keith Renier. And he was actually just sentenced recently to 120 years in prison, as in he will never walk outside of a prison cell again in his entire life. He's 60. So unless he lives to be 200 years old, he's he's in prison for the rest of his life. Um, and, you know, this, he was caught on, you know, the charges that... You, in terms of his sentencing of 120 years, it was because he was found guilty of racketeering, sex trafficking, sexual abuse. Um, the list goes on and on and on. This guy is the psychopath or sociopath. I always get those two different things mixed up. Basically, he's like the crazy of all crazies. And this guy is one of the most charismatic leaders that I've ever seen. So, you know, listeners out there and Alex, I encourage you as well, go on to HBO. If you have Crave TV, 
or other means of streaming uh, HBO, check out a documentary called The Vow. It is absolutely wild. You can watch it on HBO. It's a, it's a mini series called The Vow. And it, and, it, and it goes over the entire timeline of this guy, Keith Renier. Renier. He's, this guy started a company called Byline, which was a pyramid scheme um, over 20 years ago, uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And that didn't really pan out well. So he decided to start this, this, this group called ESP, which is the Executive Success Program. And so he starts all these different training programs, success programs, leadership programs, and they eventually, they all fall under the umbrella of Nixium. Now, you had mentioned that you heard some podcasts about this. So I'm sure you're aware of, of all of this stuff. But basically, for the listeners that are not aware, it's on the surface, it was this executive success program, how to be your best self, how to be more productive, how to communicate better, how to you know, influence people and be a leader in society, give back, like you said earlier, give back to the community, all that wonderful stuff. But the deeper you dive in, the scarier it gets. And I was doing a Wikipedia blast and a, and, a, and, a, and a YouTube blast just to catch myself up on all of these details um, that, I, that I watched when I was watching The Vow. It, it gets really creepy. So uh, on the surface, you have these executive leaders, you know, in training who are, you know, the further you move up in this society, you wear these different sashes, these like different... Um, colored sashes that represent how high how high up you are and it's a huge time commitment and people give their <clears> entire <throat> lives they give their entire lives to this 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 executive training program but where it gets really scary is there was this group called dominus obsequious sororium which is latin um it's dos and and, and the latin dominus obsequious sororium or dos dos literally means women coming together. And so this was a subgroup. So you, you have this like Nexium, which is the mother company. You have the ex executive success leadership program. And then within that, there's like an inner circle, women only. And there's, there's two groups of sets of women. There are the masters and the slaves. And they all kind of fall under the, the spell of this Keith Renier guy who is you know, and the scary thing is he's this charismatic leader and he makes it seem like they're all in control. And that's the scary thing about cults. You think that you are a free thinker. You think that you're in control, but it's all, it's all brainwashing. And so these, these masters would convince these slaves to get branded. And so they would actually take a cauterizing pen, a hot piece of metal and carve what appeared to be sort of Greek um, you know, script in, in these people's, um, thighs, right? Like in the near, near, near their, like, I basically like their inner thighs. Right. But if you squint at it, if you really look at what they're cauterizing into these, what they're carving into these people's thighs, it's KR. If you look at yeah. it in a certain way and KR stands for Keith Renier. And, and the, and the scary thing is not only would they, did they have this, like, slave master sex cult where they're branding each other with these with these k and r's but they all had sex with this well most of them had sex with keith and they thought they were doing it out of because he was so charismatic that they thought they were doing it out of their own judgment well it was all brainwashing and and this is something that isn't this 
it's, this isn't like something that happened 500 years ago. This is something that's happened recently. So I, I don't even know where to begin. Alex, what are your thoughts on, on DOS, Nexium, the ESP program, and Keith Renier? Um, well, like right off the top, you know, the executive success programs. Um, it's really interesting to me because I see cults as always looking for, for an in, like they're always looking for people's weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and it's their weakness that will, that will sort of give them that ability to like, uh, like we did an episode about sales and, and yeah. you're always looking to uh, people only either run away from pain or towards pleasure. Um, that's the only reason anybody makes any decision ever, at least in the, in the mind of a, a salesperson. So you're looking for those pain points. And it's really interesting to me that, that they sort of founded this whole thing and used uh, this executive success program as sort of like an onboarding thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, because anybody like you and I are in our thirties now, but we certainly know, and it's very fresh in our memories that what is the number one pain point for anybody that any young person in their twenties, uh, your career, like it's, sure. it's, the, it's the most problematic aspect of your life. You know, maybe, maybe sort of balancing that between that and finding a significant other that you want to spend the rest of your yeah. life with. Yeah. But, but I would argue that even more of a problem for most people in their 20s is, uh, is their um, uh, career success. You're in your 20s, you're young, you've just spent all this time and money on your education, but you're not really seeing the benefit of it. Um, you're still so young that nobody really takes you that seriously. Um, you're getting paid just crap for what you're worth. And, you know, you have all this inner turmoil and angst um, about your career. And, you know, when, when some very charismatic person comes along and offers an executive success program, um, and they're going to teach you like, like there's just something wrong with you. Um, they're convincing you that it's not because you're 20 and you, um, you don't have that much to offer in the marketplace yet. You know, you're going to have to wait another five or 10 years or work hard for another five or 10 years. No, it's not that there's something wrong with you and we can fix that. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, and I witnessed this firsthand. I, I, I was kicking myself for not mentioning this in the, in the uh, bullshit jobs uh, episode that we did. But when I was really in a very dark place, um, I had been on the job market searching for maybe six or seven months in Toronto, um, unable to find work. And I was just desperate for like, some, like an office to show up at every day. And I found something that sounded a lot like this executive success program. And it was with, uh, with Bell Canada. They were running a program. Um, it, was an, it was called a, a professional internship program um, where basically it was an entire floor of an office building 
where people would come in and basically volunteer their time. And in return for that, they would get some like executive success training type of stuff. Um, and they would also, but like while you're there, you're doing all kinds of work for Bell Canada. At the time they were trying to, I think they were trying to make like a Google Maps, like a Canadian version of Google Maps or something like that. So they were like getting these people to spend hours and hours and hours, you know, um, uh, converting like physical, uh, like um, paper maps into electronic maps um, and that type of thing. And it was really like interesting at the time I was just like totally blinded to how fucked up this was. Oh yeah. <laughs> that there was all these people working for Bell Canada for free. Like I'm talking an entire floor of an office yeah. building, yeah. maybe even more. I don't even know. Um, under, under the legal loophole of being an intern. Um, but there was, it was very clear that there was not, employment was not the path at this, at this company. It was not about gaining employment. It was about gaining, um, you know, like knowledge of how to become a successful executive. And it's, it's fucked up, man. It's like watching all these people walking around, like as if they're working a real job, um, but they were really just being duped. And a year after the, the government had shut that thing down. Oh yeah. And yeah. now you're not allowed to actually hire an intern unless you're, you're part of a education, like unless you're a registered student of a- Correct. Yeah. You know, that yeah, type of thing. So, totally. Anyways, it's like it's interesting how susceptible young people are to um, executive success uh, programs and that. Oh, type totally, of thing. totally. Um, and 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 I'm really glad you shared that because yes, the legislation has changed, and I'm so glad it has because you know I, I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but yeah, Bell Bell Media has been known for sorry Bell Canada slash Bell Media, slash whatever subsidiary of Bell you want to talk about. They have been known for illegal unpaid internships that are not, to your point, um, related to a school program or to a, to a full-time student. And that's just basic exploitation. And yeah, you're right. You're, you're looking at people's vulnerabilities, that their careers, they want to become these, these leaders in society. So they'll, they'll do whatever it takes, even, even if that means doing mundane work and like giving their time to this corporation and not making a fucking cent off it. So you're right in that the sense that there's that draw in of this leadership program. And, 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 the, and, the, and the interesting thing about Nexium is again, on the surface, what they were doing in that program was fine, right? Like they were training these people to, to be outgoing, to, to be their most productive selves, to give back to the community, to all this stuff, right? Like just, just to be your best self, stay, stay fit, stay in shape. Um, just all these things that are, that are, you know, part of being a well-rounded human. Now, the way things get weird is the further you get into this organization and in, in, at the core of this organization, that's when things get really creepy. And that's when you see this DOS group and that's, and you know, things come out, the more you read about it, the more, um, you hear about this DOS Dominus Obsequious Sororium group. And that's the core at which things got really creepy. Um, the whole master slave, the branding, the sex stuff. But 
it couldn't have happened if you didn't have this charismatic leader. And again, I'm going to go back. Keith Rainier represents all the things that I talked about in my initial list. He's charismatic. You know, you don't question him. Or if you do question him, you can have a philosophical conversation, but it's always going to lead back to him being right. And, and even if you think that you're going to say something to speak your mind, he's, you know, these charismatic leaders are always going to find a way to, to brainwash you and, and get you and get you back in line with their beliefs. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with just the time commitment you're spending, you know, hours upon hours upon hours every day with this Keith Rainier guy, Nancy Salzman, his second in command, who is known as the uh, prefect. And you have all these upper ranks of people that you're spending this time with, you're working your way up to the senior ranks. And because you're putting so much time in, you're, you're, you're cutting off your family, you're, you're, you're prioritizing this executive leadership program, or whatever part, you know, subcategory of Nexium, you're prioritizing all your time, your energy, your money, and your beliefs in this rather than spending time with your family. In fact, you actually start to think that your family's crazy and against you when, when they're trying to help you. And, you know, you know, family members and friends have tried to pull people out of these cults, but it's really hard to do because there's a level of programming and brainwashing that goes into these things. And I think that definitely Nexium is an example of that. So, so I, I don't want to spend too much more time on the episode. I just, I do want to give a couple more, um, you know, awesome, you know, first of all, another documentary that I recommend is on the Rajneesh movement. And I, it's called Wild Wild Country. And Wild Wild Country can be, I think it's still on Netflix. Uh, it should be available. And what it is, is there was this religious movement, this new age religious movement um, that was in India. And due to different conflicts that were happening with this group, they actually had to relocate. So the, this, this Rajneesh movement, this religious new age movement relocated from India and settled in a small, excuse me, a small uh, rural community in Oregon, Oregon. Okay. And what happened is this, in, this community basically is, has so much wealth being injected into it. All these members are putting all their money, all their savings uh, and, and fundraising and getting money, you know, basically wealth injected into this movement. So they have enough capital to buy up basically this entire community in the States. And um, there's, there's all this tension between the, the, the um, conservative uh, townsfolk who are already there versus these orange shirt, you know, religious, um, this, this, this religious cult basically that moves in on, on this town and basically takes over this town um, the tensions, you know, get really high. There's, there's weapons involved. It's, it's, it's really, it's really wild. There's assassination attempt. So it's really wild. So I definitely recommend watching wild, wild country um, on Netflix. And it's about the Raj, Rajneesh movement, um, basically a cult taking over a small town in Oregon, um, which is so wild. And then the other thing, I, if, if you can dig up some material on Jonestown, which is the, 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 the people's temple movement, 
Um, I did just want to mention it really briefly. I don't want to go into all of it, but basically the, the phrase of drinking the Kool-Aid is an expression used to refer to a person who believes in a possibly doomed or dangerous idea because there's, there's perceived high potential rewards. So if you're drinking the Kool-Aid, you're really going all in on, on something that's pretty crazy. And so if you look up jo the Jonestown incident, or the People's Temple Movement, basically you have in 1978, um, 900 members of this religious, semi-religious People's Temple cult um, organization being given the direction that they need to drink um, this fruity drink, kind of a fruit punch type thing that's being laced with cyanide and other drugs in order to commit mass suicide. So, so they had, yeah. uh, it's a really interesting story. They had, <clears throat> this cult had originated throughout California. And then, uh, you know, <clears throat> basically this guy decided he wanted to move all these people to Guyana, uh, a, yeah. little, a little plot of land in Guyana and make his utopian world where yeah. again, it's, it's that isolation, isolating people from the influence of their families, of other people in, in the community, wants to isolate them from that. And basically it, it was interesting sort of the way this all went down is that um, you know, some, some people had come from the United States basically to just sort of take a look around Jonestown. Um, you know, to take a look on the on the welfare of the children, um, to take a look and just see like, you know, is are there is there any abuse that's happening, that type of thing. Um, and they, you know, like they had brought cameras to, to interview him and that type of thing. And apparently people from the cult had slipped notes to to the camera people and to various people in the group to basically ask them like to help get them the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then they confronted him like during the interview about, about the people that were, were asking to leave um, or asking for help to get out of there um, and put him in a, like a really uncomfortable uh, position where he had to answer to that. And basically, when it when it came time for this group to leave, they had agreed to take, you know, the people that were trying to leave, they had agreed to take them home. And uh, and at the airport, where when they went went to the airport to board the plane, um, a truck full of armed men arrived and shot them all dead on the spot. And this was kind of like a, a doomsday scenario for. Uh, for the leader of the cult, um, you know, basically he had to, uh, uh, Jim Jones basically was at the point where he realized there's really no coming back from this. Um, so, you know, this is it, you know, we, we've all got to commit suicide and move, move on to the, the promised land to salvation. Yeah. And because, because apparently he had done many mock suicides, mock mass suicides, where um, he would get everybody to drink Kool-Aid and then he, he, he would be like, oh, you know, it was just a test, you know, to testing your, um, 
your resolve and that type of thing. Um, that that it's like part of what they're saying is that it wasn't like people didn't necessarily believe that they were actually committing suicide when they were drinking this stuff. Um, but of course, you know, because of the events that, that had just transpired, uh, he was quite serious about it. And uh, you said, what was it? 900 people died. 900 then, people died, potassium cyanide mixed with fruit punch. Yeah. And then he, uh, he died like a coward of a self-inflicted gun wound, gunshot wound. And, and that was it for the People's Temple uh, Agricultural Project. Yeah, that was wild, man. And like, honestly, we could sit here for another nine hours, but I just don't have the stamina because, you know, even when you and I were talking about this a couple months ago and I was giving you different documentaries that I'd seen, whether it's the Rajneesh, you know, folks or the Jonestown, you know, People's Temple or, or the Vow, there's just so many fascinating documentaries out there. And you can just sit there and just go like, how does this happen? But honestly, it's always starts with one charismatic leader and they're finding people to your point, they're finding their weaknesses, their vulnerabilities. And, and the scary thing is it's not only like you said, it's like these, you know, you're talking about young people who are trying to get their careers on track. So they're, they're willing to take a executive program to become better, to become more, you know, uh, to attain a better career, all that stuff. But the scary thing is there's people with master de master's degrees, PhDs, um, people, you know, who have been involved in politics, people who are actors. I mean, even, even in, in the Keith, in the Keith Renier Nixium situation, Alison Mack, like she was a, she was very successful and she was an actress, you know, in Smallville. And so you have these really successful, intelligent people who still are, are susceptible um, to people, to the influence of people like Keith Renier, because they, the, these people are so good at finding your weaknesses and preying on it. And it doesn't matter who you are. There's a way, if there's a way to penetrate your, your soul, your belief system, your spirit, these people will do it and they'll take away your control. They'll take your money. They'll take, you know, your, your freedom, whatever they can. And, and in the moment you think it's fine, right? Like in the moment, these people that were in the, the, um, the executive training program, they thought that what they were doing was fine. They were, they were, they were trying to better themselves, but then it's, it's how many conversations did these women have? How many, how much coercion, how many, how many, um, how much went into getting them to the point where they were comfortable being under the control of other women who were branding them with these guys initials. And they did it all for Keith Renier. It's not like, it's not like Keith, went up to all of them and branded them and held them down. They did it. They, you know, these women did it to other women because of the influence of Keith Renier. That's how powerful he was. He didn't even have to like do anything himself. He had other, that's true power is getting other people to do your bidding for you. Yeah. That is true power. It is scary shit. So I, 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 I want to drop a bombshell. I wasn't going to go there. I have to be very careful about how I say this. Um, I'm going to drop a bombshell. I was in a group that was, it's not a cult. It's not a cult, but it's almost a cult. Almost. Whoa. So you, yeah. so you, were, you were in a cult or you were almost in a cult? I was almost, it was a group that like you would almost define it as a cult. It wasn't. I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to damage. There underage sex going on in this cult. There was no underage sex. However, let me, let me first say that. <laughs> 
Oh, Dude, no, all, all seriousness, in all seriousness, this was not a call. I'm not accusing the leader of which I was, you know, the leader of this organization of being a cult leader, but it was kind of close. Like, it's one of those things like, you know, it was like maybe a five or six out of 10 on the scale of like being a true cult. Okay. So like and, it, it really wasn't that far. It from... wasn't, it was, yeah, it wasn't that far away from being a cult, but it was not a cult. Okay. And I'm not going to say what activity it was. I'm going to say it was a student leadership program. There's more to it than that, but I seriously like all serious, you know, being totally serious here for a second. I don't want to damage the reputation of anyone who may be listening, who was also involved in this, but I was involved in a student leadership program when I was in high school. Um, and again, it was a training program that taught you leadership skills uh, and volunteering in the community um, and all these things. And, you know, now that I look back on it, there was a lot of things on that checklist that I, that I talked to you about that, that, that actually truly line up against this group that I was in. And again, I'm not going to name the name, the name of the organization because I, I don't, I think what, I don't know, like, was Misha also in, involved in this? I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like he was also mentioning some of the same sentiments that you had. Yeah. Or, so I don't, I don't want to go too much into it. Misha can speak for himself, but yes, Misha and I were both involved in a leadership training program uh, in our in our hometown in high school. Again, I'm not going to name the organization because it's very sensitive, but I want I want to speak about it 20 years later that I was in a cult-esque type group where you know people in the higher ranks they would cut off their family. So people who were like the the you know who had been around in this leadership training program for you know 20, 30 years they would cut off their family. They would not question the leader. If you did try to, if you did leave this group, the leader would talk badly about you. And these are high school students. I remember one of someone who was on the leadership, on the higher leadership team as a student, he left when he was in, I think, grade 12, he decided not to come back to this leadership training program. And people talked smack about him after he left. Um, and, and this leader would talk, say bad things about him after he left. Um, people this, is, this is like an after-school program. This is an after-school leadership training program. I cannot go into any more detail about it. But I, but I'm just saying, like like is it like so? Would it take like an hour of your time after school? No, or? it was like three hours once a week. But then as we got closer to like different event, like key events, it would be two or three times a week, maybe three times a week, going in uh, to do this thing. Like, and and it was yeah, there was. You know, people cutting off their families. If you were in the staff, if you were a staff member, if you were a paid staff member of this of this leadership training program, a lot of them cut off their family or would not value their family as much as they valued the leader. Um, that you know, it would there was an expectation that you would give money to this organization. Uh, definitely have definite expectations around giving money to the organization. Um, you know. If you did leave, there was a lot of controversy when you left the program, especially if you'd been in there for a couple of years and then you left, people would look at you differently and, and there would be a little bit of controversy. Um, anything that the leader said was never questioned, or if it was, they would find, you know, the, the, the upper ranks, the people in the upper ranks would find a way to get you to agree, basically. So I'm not saying it was a cult. I'm absolutely not saying that. 
Um, but I will tell you, we did take vows. There was a, we would go on these summer retreat programs. There was a vow. There was a vow of commitment during these summer retreat programs where you would have to vow, make a vow for your loyalty for the following year. That's fascinating. I mean, it, it seems unnecessary though. Like yeah. doesn't being a part of this group in and of itself, you know, like, like, uh, you know, get people excited and motivated. Like, why is it that you need to make vows and cut out your family and stuff like that? Like, uh, like it, it was there a certain amount of fear and paranoia from the upper ranks or um, there was you know the the leader and again this guy is actually a good guy he's done a lot for the community i'm not going to name his name obviously but this guy has actually done a lot of good leadership community work for the community and there's there's definitely a side to this leadership program that i was in that was very beneficial to the students you know learning you know, being, being involved in the community at getting exercise, um, just, you know, um, different life skills that we would learn, but the flips. So all that stuff was great. The flip side of it was this, this, you know, the more you got involved, the more loyalty was expected. And it wasn't enough that you would go to like the actual events themselves. There was all these other events that they would expect you to go to, and they would put pressure on you to go to these like extracurricular events above and beyond like the core program. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so what, I, what is it that you think that the, the, the leader of this program was like, was getting from this? Like, I mean, was it just the satisfaction of running a successful program or like, was there more to it than that? I think that he was just, he had really, really, really noble and good intentions in terms of like doing this for, he's done, he's done this for over 40 years now, you know, getting these students to be the best of the best that they can be in this leadership program and all that sort of stuff that goes with it. Um, there was a lot of creative elements involved. So he was just a very creative person who, who saw opportunity to make these people be the best of the best. But I think he also was like, it was just this, like, if you want to be involved and you want to be the best of the best, you have to give all your time. So like he demanded like a hundred percent commitment Pretty if, much. if you wanted to be a part of it. Pretty That's much. I mean, yeah. like, I wonder if that, like, is that just sort of like in order to um, create a organization that is going to be successful and have a very high reputation, I can kind of understand like, you almost like, what's the point of starting a program like this unless it's going to have a really good reputation? Yeah, right? yeah. And and the reputation is is sort of like, um, the reputation is built on by each successive like graduate or or each successive person. And like, yeah. are they going to go on in their careers and yeah. and become something? right? Like if they do become something, then that's like a credit. It's like a notch on your belt as the leader of this organization. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think that it has something to do with that? Like you only want the best of the best and you want to attract the best of the best. And this is like the strategy for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to so th that was definitely an element of it. And, and to your point, like 
I think that a lot of the success stories that we saw from this leadership program were a result of the, the demand that was put on these students to, to be there, you know, behind working behind the scenes, working in the community, um, doing whatever it take, you know, whatever it took to make the project move forward, putting in extra hours, um, being the best you can be. And part of that's a time commitment. It was just like the way that they went around it. It was, there was a lot of peer pressure. Oh, are you going to the, the after party for this? Are you going to go and do this community event after the, after our, um, core event today? And then, and if you, and even as an alumnus, even as a graduate, I would come back and then they would guilt trip you into like, into like going to all these extra events. Right. And it was just like, yeah, so I don't want to go into too much more so, detail. So I want to talk about like, um, so like what would happen, like if somebody was successful, uh, you know, after sort of graduating, not graduating from this program, because I guess you never leave this program, but you go off into the world and you become a success in one way or another. Uh, is that something that was like touted frequently and like, oh, so-and-so went on to do this. Yes. And so-and-so went on to do that. And if you want to be in this program, uh, we need a hundred percent commitment so that you can become like these people. Like, is uh, that, there was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of that. I don't want to give any names away because it's very sensitive. No, but... we're not getting into specifics, but I'm just yeah. curious. There was yeah. definitely like, there was definitely mentioning of like, oh, this alumni has, has done this with their lives or this alumni has achieved X, Y, and Z. And that was definitely an influence, an influencing factor to motivate the students to be the best that they could be. Um, I guess what I was trying to communicate is that there was just such a high, there was so much pressure, not only from the staff and, and, and the alumni and, and the upper ranks of the program, but with the peers themselves, you know, from other students to say, hey, it's not enough that you're here for the core hours of the program. You need to come in earlier to do this warm up with us to get ready, or you need to go to this event or you need to go to this party, or you need to bring in money for a donation. Or, or so there was just like, it was just such a huge time commitment. And there was a lot of peer pressure involved to the extent where, again, as I mentioned, we would go on retreats and take vows of loyalty to this place. I kid you not. Vows of loyalty. Wow. Like, so what would happen if you were like, you were obviously in school at the time, yeah. And let's say you had like a major project that was due this week and it happened to coincide with uh, one of these events that they, they considered were important. Um, like what would, what would happen there? You could possibly lose some of your responsibility within the group. Wow. So, so I think, I think like, so a big part of this is that exclusivity, right? Like, so, so like you're yeah, part of yeah. this like exclusive group, right? Yeah, it's exactly like you have this uh, um, value because you're part of this group. Yeah, yeah. And you, you risk losing a little bit of that if yeah. you if you uh, spend too much time on other other things, in, exactly, including your education, School <laughs> which work, is like, work, other stuff. Yeah, so it was really interesting. And so I guess I don't want to take up too much more time because we actually, we talked, you know, a lot longer than I thought, which was great. Um, but I, I think the, I just wanted to share my personal story because it has impacted me. I've learned some wonderful, like I've taken some of these things that I've learned and I still use them in my job, right? Like some of these, 
you know, in order to find motivation within myself to be the best that I can be at my current job, I still feel the influence of this program that I was in 20 years ago in high school. So there was definitely some positive impacts it's had on my life. But the flip side of that is that it, there was a lot of peer pressure within this group to like, to be, to be exclusively loyal to this group. I got to tell you, like, it's, it's really interesting to hear that. Cause like the promise of being in some sort of special group, uh, exclusive heart, like really hard to get into this group, but the promise of the possibility of getting into there yeah. can really spur a person on to do um, incredible things. Yeah. You know, like, like wow. I, I think back to, um, you know, we both went to school at, at Ryerson's radio and television arts program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, despite how I feel about it now, <laughs> when I was a kid in high school, um, this was a very exclusive program. Um, at that time, they only accepted like, I think like 65 students a year, uh, like across Canada. It was the only radio and television like degree program. Yeah. Where you could actually get a four-year degree and and basically study journalism or uh, broadcast and journalism stuff like that, right? Um, so like, and I remember at the time, like I was just like so determined to like get into this yeah. Yeah. thing, and I I turn my average around from like a seventy percent average to a 90% average in a matter of months. Um, I was so freaking determined to get in there. But now looking back on it, it's like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like a, a, a four-year degree in the arts? In the arts? What the fuck? Yeah. But like yeah. but that exclusivity, like that feeling that, oh, once I'm in, I'm set for life. You, you know, that's a really hard thing. And it's almost like hardwired into us as humans to get into that exclusive group. Like, if you think about like humanity as like a tribal species, right? Mm. Like your, your um, uh, viability as a, as a potential mate, your viability uh, as someone who's able to uh, spend the resources to support their family um, at, you know, throughout evolution has depended on you being a part of the inner circle of your tribe. Like, yeah. you, if you're not the leader of your tribe, you want to at least be in the leadership group of the tribe. And that's going to ensure your survival. <clears throat> and uh, and it, it's fascinating that that all these these cults seem to use these various elements that are just like instinctive in us. And it's almost understandable how a normal average person, like, like intelligent person can be swept up into something like this. Very, very good way to wrap up the episode. You did a fantastic job of, um, you know, focusing on the sort of the, the, the core human aspect of this is that we want to belong right? And one of the things was in, in my high school, I didn't really fit in, right? Like I was, I was kind of an outcast. Like I never, I had a small group of friends in high school, but I wasn't like, 
I was by no means popular, kind of out there a little bit, doing my own thing, beating, you know, beating to the rhythm of my own drum or whatever you want to say. And, and so when I went to this leadership program run by the city, it was an extracurricular program from outside of my, it wasn't within my high school. It was outside of my high school. You know, I, there was a sense of belonging. So there definitely is that side of you want to be in this inner circle. You want to feel part of a community and we can go back. We can circle back to your church group that you're talking about being involved in the church and you're involved in a community or I was involved in a community with this, with this leadership program or, and then, and then, and then the more you succeed, the more you become closer to the inner circle. So there's definitely that, 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 that idea of belonging, being in the inner circle, being closer to the leader. It's when you have these other things that come into the mix, isolating from family, giving away your life savings, getting fucking initials engraved into your groin. It's all these other weird things that come into play. That's when you go from a community to a cult. No kidding. Yeah. So no, excellent episode tonight. Lots of interesting stuff. As I mentioned, um, if you want to read or should I say, um, watch more about Nixium, um, check out The Vow on HBO. It's a fantastic miniseries. Um, if you're interested in learning about um, additional cult stuff, the Rajne Rajneesh movement, check out Wild Wild country there's a ton of amazing documentaries out there about cults and what a, yeah. what a great episode and also uh if if you're ref referring people to things um the louis theroux episode that we did um part of that was on the the uh westboro baptist church so check out our our louis theroux oh yeah pod. oh yeah that was that was a fantastic speaking about dangerous religions definitely the westboro baptist church something to look into on that episode that you mentioned. So a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. If you like tonight's episode, listeners, you'll love our conspiracy theory episode. You'll love our QAnon episode. This is definitely, there's definitely a common theme throughout a lot of our podcasts. So lots to check out on our social media, as well as on Spotify. So great chat tonight about cults. Um, and, 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 and guaranteed we have a lot more outlandish, um, outspoken and outstanding commentary coming up. But for now, it's Andrew and Alex signing off. <laughs>